When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. The Hartford understands protecting your business with the proper insurance can be a challenge. The Hartford team can provide coverage to suit your industry. The Hartford empowers mid- to large-size companies like yours to help manage risk, from liability and property insurance to workers' comp and more. Let the Hartford help protect what's unique about your business. Learn how at thehartford.com. Now, from our nation's capital, this is Bloomberg Sound On. The negotiations now are underway to finish up the appropriation bill so there's no government shutdown. Vaccine mandates are much easier to do at the state level than at the federal level. Bloomberg Sound On. Politics, policy, and perspective from D.C.'s top names. We've seen some damage to the credibility on how poorly the U.S. did predicting that Taliban takeover. The country has moved from a weariness with COVID to a resignation and that somehow we're going to get through it. Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. You never know when days like these are going to happen in Washington. Days that change the narrative. Get politicians and reporters off the script. Here we are. We'll distill it all for you in the fastest hour in politics. With voting rights legislation looking unlikely to pass now after Senator Kirsten Sinema said no to changing the filibuster. And the Biden administration's workplace vaccine requirement struck down by the Supreme Court a short time ago. That's just for starters. We have a lot more to talk about. And we'll be joined in a moment by Congresswoman Barbara Lee, Democrat from California, on the future of voting rights and the child tax credit. And we'll talk later with Labor Secretary Marty Walsh about today's Supreme Court ruling, what it means for the workforce and the effort to vaccinate the nation. The signature panel is in place. Bloomberg Politics contributors Jeannie Shanzano and Rick Davis here for the hour. Indeed, it turned into quite a day here in your nation's capital. We start with voting rights, a presidential visit to Capitol Hill, President Biden paying a visit to Senate Democrats as they met for lunch today. Those who were in the room say he spoke passionately about the issue. When he emerged, he told reporters it was not looking good. I hope we can get this done, but I'm not sure. But one thing for certain, one thing for certain, like every other major civil rights bill that came along, If we miss the first time, we can come back and try it a second time. We miss this time. We miss this time. Sounding rather definitive. And the president's visit came only about an hour after Senator Kirsten Sinema, of course, Democrat from Arizona, all but closed the door on the legislation's chances in that chamber, refusing to change the filibuster, which, of course, would allow this to pass along party lines. Eliminating the 60 vote threshold on a party line with the thinnest of possible majorities to pass these bills that I support will not guarantee that we prevent demagogues from winning office. Joining us to talk about the way forward on this, among other issues that we'd like to get to today, is Congresswoman Barbara Lee, Democrat from California, 13th District, Oakland. Congresswoman, thank you for being here. Is it back to the drawing board on voting reform? Yeah, you know... uh, We've got to keep fighting. If you support something, then you figure out a way 
to make sure it happens. Where there's a will, there's a way. So I'm not going to give up. Uh, it, it's really uh, a defining moment for our, our country. You know, I, I remember the days um, of Jim Crow. I remember when um, we, as an African-American in Texas, when my family didn't have the right to vote. Why in the world there are those who are lining up with the Republicans who say that, um, in essence, the, the constitutional right to vote, our democracy, is not as important as a, an archaic um, mechanism placed in the Senate after, after slavery. It's, it's mind-boggling. So I'm hmm. still hopeful that they'll find a way, a rule, a carve-out. We did it for the, they did it for the debt ceiling. We did it also and, and helped find a way. And so we've got to keep at it because this is a defining moment and so many people will be denied access to their constitutional rights. Well, Congresswoman, after Build Back Better, now voting reform, are you getting tired of hearing the names Cinema and Mansion? I'm not getting tired of hearing the names. I think that we have to say their names and their constituents need to hold them accountable. I think it's, it's a shame and disgrace that uh, two people could hold up uh, legislation that could help the majority of American people with their lives and their livelihoods. And so, no, uh, I think we have to say their names and we have to work with them and try to make sure they understand that uh, yeah. they're impeding progress, not just for Democrats, but for Republicans, for people who live in rural communities, for uh, women who want to get back in the workforce, need child care. You know, I'm going to ask you about the child with, uh, tax credit in, in just yeah. a moment, Congresswoman. Before we turn to that, though, I'm sure you saw the very sternly worded statement from the NAACP this week uh, following President Biden's speech in Atlanta. Are you disappointed in President Biden for not making this an earlier priority in his first year? Well, it's always been a priority with our vice president and the president. I think. So what, you don't share uh, that sentiment? We, no, I think that what has happened is covid uh, we and the Biden administration had to repair a heck of a lot of damage from the uh, Trump administration just to save lives. And quite naturally, that had to be a priority. Um, the distribution of vaccines, getting the messaging out, uh, making sure that people uh, did not die <laughs> and mitigate against the, the terrible, terrible, horrific uh, impact of the pandemic. They had yeah. to do that. And that, you know, unfortunately became, well, it had to be their a priority, unfortunately, because of the, the raging nature of COVID. I want to ask you about the child tax credit. The next round of checks, Congresswoman, as you well know, would have been going out this weekend, the 15th, if Build Back Better had become law, if it had passed the Congress, both chambers. In the meantime, though, I wonder if you would support a standalone bill to extend that tax credit to families going forward, or if there's another plan B you have in mind. Well, I've talked to many members uh, about how we can do this. I'm not sure yet if we have a plan B, but let me tell you, 36 million families face uh, January without a child tax credit. Uh, and Senator Manchin's state is, what, 350,000 who are going to miss out on this. And uh, this is a matter of people being a, there was someone who said that uh, as a result of this ending that there'll be times when uh, she won't eat. And so we, we've got to do this. And, and Senator Manchin hopefully will come around. Uh, again, we have to figure out ways to um, make sure he understands and responds to his constituents also. Uh, this is a terrible thing not to have uh, this, this check coming out. And, in fact, had um, 
it been remo- renewed, um, if it's not renewed, we're going to see childhood poverty rates um, fall again. I mean, was there a way to handle that in a retroactive future. fashion? Could could you do well, that at some point this month or next month and make good on that check for January? Well, I'm telling you, we don't know, but we're trying every which way. Yeah. It should be part of the uh, Build Back Better plan, which which we negotiated with Senator Manchin to meet his requirements, which the president uh, committed to get done, which we agree with the president it should pass right away. And so we, we're still working on getting uh, Build Back Better, uh, hopefully in shape to pass. And let me just tell you what I'm hearing. People in my district in the Golden State of California, they're using these childhood tax credit payments for diapers, for, nur- for nurseries, for other essentials. You know, it, it really has made such a difference to families who are living on the edge. And, and so if we really want to end child poverty, then we'll figure out a way to do this. But I'm going back to Build Back Better and say, look, we've negotiated down to what Senator Manchin said he could live with. And so I I hope that uh, he'll find a way to live up to his commitment. Congresswoman Barbara Lee, Democrat from California, our greetings to Oakland, and thank you for being with us, answering our questions here on Bloomberg Sound On. Top Thrill 2 is like no other course. Two 420-foot vertical speedways, three launches. All right, let's talk strategy. Copy that, driver. Go for maximum acceleration off the start. Measure that. You've got a short straightaway to push from zero to 74 on the first vertical speedway. And what about the rollback? Rollback will set you up for an explosive reverse climb 420 feet in the sky so you reach zero Gs in total weightlessness. 420 feet of straight. Straight up speed. Let's get it. Top Thrill 2, the world's tallest and fastest triple launch strata coaster. Get your tickets at cedarpoint.com. Face it, your business is unique. It faces challenges and risks that are specific to your industry and to the skills you and your team bring to every challenge. You need experienced insurance professionals. The Hartford accepts the challenge. The Hartford understands that protecting your business with the proper insurance can be a challenge. The Hartford team can help provide coverage to suit your industry. The Hartford empowers mid- to large-sized companies like yours to easily manage risk, from liability and property insurance to workers' comp and more. With experience in underwriting, risk engineering services, and claims, the Hartford faces any challenge to deliver innovative, customizable solutions that your industry and your unique company demand. Let the Hartford help protect what's unique about your business. Learn how at thehartford.com. I'm Joe Matthew in Washington. We want to turn to the other major development today here in the nation's capital. That's the Supreme Court ruling to block the Biden administration's vaccine or test requirement for major employers. We've talked a lot about this, even as the court, by the way, allowed a separate rule for workers in nursing homes and hospitals that receive Medicare and Medicaid funding, allowing that to move forward. A split decision, you might say. Labor Secretary Marty Walsh is with us right now to talk about what it all means. Secretary, we thank you for being here on a busy day. Do you plan to fight this ruling? No, we're not. You know, we're certainly very disappointed with uh, today's ruling by the Supreme Court. Uh, it's only going to hurt workers. Uh, you know, as we as we crafted this rule, uh, we, we crafted it with the understanding both medical and legal experts agree that it was necessary uh, and we had the right to do this to make sure our workplace are safe all across our country. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and that's kind of where we are at this moment. What does it mean for your effort to vaccinate the workforce and more broadly, the nation. Uh, Secretary, we've talked a lot about the slowdowns that have happened in our economy and supply chain, some of the stuff you've been directly tied to. You and I have talked about truckers, the need for more workers. Does this slow down the recovery? 
No, it won't slow down the recovery, but what it's going to do, it puts lots of people at risk. Uh, it's certainly, uh, if you look at the numbers, people that are vaccinated uh, and boosted in, in, in a lot of circumstances that, that are getting the Omicron variant, uh, they're just getting sick. And people who are unvaccinated are, are being hospitalized and, 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 and unfortunately passing away. But, but we're urging, and I'm going to urge myself and the president and the administration is going to urge employers to take these vaccines and test measures and put them in place. And we'll support them through all that. And the Department of Labor and OSHA in particular stands ready to work with companies on keeping their workers safe as we continue to move through uh, this phase of the pandemic. Several justices, Secretary, were concerned about regulatory overreach. That's what we heard in the arguments. They said Congress is uh, where the authority lies to direct OSHA to do this. Would the administration consider legislation uh, to make that happen, a different approach? No, I think the president addressed it in, in, in his statement earlier. He said that uh, he feels that we have the ability to do this, and that's why we went forward and, and, and did this. Uh, it's really, it's really, like I said, it's really unfortunate. I, I think about, you know, my time um, when when the when the coronavirus started and came to America. Uh, I was mayor of Boston, uh, and, and you were there with me, and, and you saw what we had to do in the very beginning day. Yeah, um, over eight hundred thousand Americans have lost their life because of coronavirus. Over five and a half, almost five and a half million people in the world have lost their life. We're still living in a pandemic time, and what we want to do is keep people safe. We want to get people back to work. We want people to be safe. We want people to enjoy the holidays and birthdays with their families. And right now, uh, I mean, this ruling doesn't help that, but we're going to be continue, continuing the efforts of making sure Americans are safe and working with companies all across our country. Based on your communications uh, with employers, you have a better sense as you kind of look nationally at this issue, uh, Secretary. What, is this, what does this leave us? Are we going to have half the country, half the major cities in the country where employers have a vaccine or test mandate and, and half the country does not? Or is it not that simple? No, we still have the, the majority of adults in this country are vaccinated. And, and I think that, you know, we understand the president laid out a plan back in January of last year when he became the president. Uh, to get people vaccinated. And, and and for the most part, we have lots of million, hundreds of millions of people in this well, millions of people in this country vaccinated. Mm-hmm. We're talking about uh, a smaller number. And what we want to do is when we talk about next month, when we're talking on jobs day and you're asking me a question about worker shortages. Yeah. Part of the reason is making sure people feel safe going back to work. So we we just have to continue our efforts with the president laid out. You know, is this a setback? I wouldn't say it's a setback. It's a, it's a severe disappointment is what it is. But we're going to continue to, to do everything we can. I'm going to continue to do everything I can as Secretary of Labor for the United States of America to make sure every single worker in America is safe. Part of your job as Secretary, of course, to oversee OSHA. Do you worry this ruling will in any way limit OSHA's ability to keep workplaces safe with or, or without COVID, beyond COVID? Well, I'm concerned in some, to some regards. I mean, obviously, in this, what we wanted to accomplish here, we're not going to be able to do that. But the, the folks here at OSHA, the folks that work at OSHA, the career people here, they're amazing human beings. They're going to continue to do everything they can to make sure we continue to, to make sure workplaces are safe for Americans that go into those workplaces, that they're safe. I know you want to be upbeat, Secretary, but does this does this frustrate you? That, that reference you made earlier, you know, you're going to talk to me. You're going to ask me about a worker shortage and what's going on uh, at the end of the month when the jobs report comes out. But then you have this land in your lap. D- does it does it feel like you can't win sometimes when it comes to COVID? Huh. I wouldn't say that. I just think that, you know, when as we were putting this rule together, uh, I sat with personally and my team sat with many medical experts about this and legal experts. And they all kept saying we have the legal right to do this. And the medical experts said this is the absolute right thing to do. 
And, and this was a vaccine or testing, vaccine or testing. That's what we were going to do here. Uh, this is not this is not what people are arguing and battling about with mandates, although there are mandates in place. And, yeah. and I support companies to mandate and, and I support governments to mandate. But this is a vax or test. And that's the thing in this particular ruling that, that kind of uh, makes me scratch my head a little bit. Well, I'm sure that you are pleased, though, to have the other rule go forward, right? This is nursing homes, hospitals that receive federal funding. How many people are we talking about here, uh, Secretary? What does that mean for the big picture? I don't have the exact number, but you know it's it's millions of people, and it's it's that that's that's a good part of this ruling that that is good. So you know the ruling was not good in some aspects. I felt and in other aspects it was good, and it also allows us the opportunity to to, to make sure that we can keep hospital personnel safe as well. Uh, so we're looking at that as well. Secretary of Labor Marty Walsh, appreciate your being with us as always, sir. In a breaking news environment, no less. Insights from the former mayor of Boston. Thank you again, sir. By the way, the court's three liberal justices, Breyer, Kagan, Sotomayor, dissented. As I read on the terminal, the decision stymies the federal government's ability to counter the unparalleled threat that COVID poses to our nation's workers in an unusual joint opinion. I told you, this has been a day. I'm not even done yet. But we do want to assemble the panel. With Bloomberg Politics contributors Jeannie Shanzano and Rick Davis, what must be on their minds? We'll take these stories once at a time here. Jeannie, is this round on voting rights? Let's go back to voting rights. Over. It's over for now. I think we are going to see the Senate push through and and try to keep the discussion going on the filibuster. But for all intents and purposes... We, they simply don't have the votes to make the changes they need. And I think we heard that in the president's remarks that, you know, they're not going to win this time, but they're going to keep going at it. And I thought, you know, your discussion with, with Barbara Lee was very important because she underscores what a personal and really compelling issue this is to so many people as she talks about remembering the days of Jim Crow and about not giving up on this. So this is something that is really important to many Democrats, but they simply don't have the vote with cinema coming out against changing the filibuster. Let's hear from Kirsten Cinema one more time. Uh, Rick Davis, uh, you know the state of Arizona. She says that the, the people of Arizona do not want to see the rules of the Senate changed. And she talked about I'll use her words here, a disease of division. We must address the disease itself, the disease of division, to protect our democracy. And it cannot be achieved by one party alone. It cannot be achieved solely by the federal government. The response requires something greater and, yes, more difficult than what the Senate is discussing today. This speech on the floor came just about, what, an hour before President Biden showed up at that Democratic caucus luncheon. How did she do here, Rick, in making the case that changing the filibuster was not going to happen as long as she was around? Yeah, I think she made a calculated decision to get out there ahead of the president's visit and define her own opposition. She led a very compelling case for why she was for the underlying bill, but she also laid out a very compassionate case, as you describe, and the clip shows as to why she will not oppose uh, the filibuster rule. And and look, I mean, she's she's wildly popular in Arizona. I I, I mean, Democrats can complain about her, but nobody's going to beat her in Arizona. And 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 Arizona does like. 
uh, and has rewarded dealmakers like John McCain and, and, and at the time Barry Goldwater uh, in, in the Senate for being someone who can go across the aisle and get deals done. And, and that has been a more and more difficult uh, business to be in. But like she's already scored a win for this administration by co-sponsoring with a Republican um, uh, the the trans the uh, infrastructure bill. I mean, yeah. probably the biggest piece of legislation that, that Joe Biden's going to pass in his first two years of office. Did she make the case, Jeannie, for for progressives who wanted to see the filibuster put down in this case? She she made the case for the minority, reminding and you've talked about this, Jeannie, that Democrats someday will be back in that position. They will. And of course, it could be in just about a year from now. But I I think sort of what is missing in this discussion is that there is this idea that the filibuster is historic and goes back to the beginning of time. And that's simply not the case. The filibuster we know today is really unrestricted minority obstruction. It is not this tradition of unlimited speech. Mm -hmm. And so that is a huge distinction. I think that the Democrats have to do a better job about talking about the history of this thing. There have been carve outs numerous over time, including the adoption of the motion of cloture in 1917. So this idea that this thing has never been touched and it is somehow sacrosanct is simply not the fact. And we don't have the real idea of unlimited debate today. What we have is unrestricted obstruction. And that is what Democrats need to talk about. But of course, they're not going to get either to Rick's point, cinema or uh, mansion on board when they have wildly support uh, the wild support of their constituents in their states. I want to ask you both about the way the president conducted himself today. We've seen him go uh, to Capitol Hill quite a number of times uh, over the past couple of months. Uh, It was build back better. Before that, it was infrastructure. Today, it was voting rights. And he did speak passionately to reporters when he came out of uh, that that caucus meeting room. And I want you to hear what he said. The state legislative bodies continue to change the law, not as to who can vote, but who gets to count the vote. Count the vote. Count the vote. It's about election subversion, not just whether or not people get to vote. Who counts the vote? Speaking uh, almost in shouting tones there uh, for a moment, Rick, it was like that Joe Biden we saw Uh, earlier in Atlanta. Is this the president that should have been trumping voting rights months ago? Yeah, if he wanted to pass this, he would have had to find another way of convincing both his caucus and other supporters, potentially on the Republican Party side, uh, to to get on board. And, And at the end of the day, this is a passion issue. It's it's the underlying democratic principles that we all hold true in our nation. And and yet, look at the agenda he's been dealt with, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, like, I actually think the point that Barbara Lee was making about the fact that COVID got in the way of a lot of this legislative agenda is a fair criticism. Um, You know, it's not like you can do everything that you want to do in the first year of your presidency, and he's battling a global pandemic and and America's role in it. So I, I think people in the Democratic Party need to take a deep breath and realize they live or die by the success of Joe Biden in 19 in 2022 and also in 2024. And the more they nitpick this guy, the more likely it is that they're going to see Republicans in both the House, in the Senate and in the White House. What do you make of the Supreme Court ruling? Jeannie Shanzano, this is another setback for Joe Biden. He kind of got two in one day, didn't he? 
He did. It's been a really tough day for Democrats and Biden in particular. And, you know, I don't think any of us are surprised, though. All of these events are things we expected. We thought the conservatives would go the way they did, at yep. least in that first case. And we thought Cinema and Manchin would hold strong to their position on the filibuster. But a bad day indeed for the Democrats. And, you know, I think it's worth underscoring what the, the minority in the Supreme Court said, yep. which is this idea that the court has now said that the government cannot respond to a pandemic. That's a huge problem. Yet this is a court that also has allowed states to make these decisions on mandates. So I think we're going to have to see some more activity at the state level if they want to get this done. The unsigned opinion, quote, although Congress has indisputably given OSHA the power to regulate occupational dangers, it has not given the agency the power to regulate public health more broadly. Rick Davis, I know you saw this coming, but what does it mean for that sort of broader argument about mandates. This has become a very ugly political argument that's really cut the country in half. Yeah, it's a, it's been way too politicized. What's interesting about this is a lot of the corporations that would have been under this federal mandate did it anyway. They did it ahead of the government mandate that's true. requirement. Yes. And, and, and frankly, that's what you hope out of your administration is that they set a standard. They don't have to legislate that standard. They can just set a standard. Companies should protect their employees by getting them to get vaccines. I mean, like, there's absolutely nothing wrong with using the bully pulpit to get them to do it. You don't always have to make it a presidential decree. And I think this is what the Supreme Court is telling this administration. It's okay to talk about this stuff. It's okay for them to voluntarily do it. But when you start requiring them to do it as a federal mandate, there's got to be a nexus in something, right? Either the fact that they're receiving Medicare, Medicaid funds, whether there's yeah. an actual danger to the employees. You need a hook. You need a hook. And they didn't have one in this case. What does this mean uh, quickly, Joe, uh, uh, Jeannie, for the midterms here? As we consider the argument around mandates, it's going to be a big midterm election issue. A huge issue. And I think this all, again, gets back to what happens in the schools that the administration has been trying to address as well. And I think that's going to be a challenge because that is always done at the local level too. My gosh, we're just getting started here on the fastest hour in politics. We're going to add more. Coming up, is it the end of an era for presidential debates? The Republican National Committee is hoping so, or well, at least the end of the commission on presidential debates. We'll talk about that with Bloomberg's Mark Niquette coming up and the panel, of course, Rick and Jeannie along for the ride here with a lot more to talk about on Sound On. I'm Joe Matthew. This is Bloomberg. Top Thrill 2 is like no other course. Two 420-foot vertical speedways, three launches. All right, let's talk strategy. Copy that, driver. Go for maximum acceleration off the start. Roger that. You've got a short straightaway to push from 0 to 74 on the first vertical speedway. And what about the rollback? Rollback will set you up for an explosive reverse climb 420 feet in the sky so you reach 0 Gs in total weightlessness. 420 feet of straight-up speed. Let's get it. Top Thrill 2, the world's tallest and fastest triple-launch Stratocoaster. Get your tickets at cedarpoint.com. Face it, your business is unique. It faces challenges and risks that are specific to your industry and to the skills you and your team bring to every challenge. You need experienced insurance professionals. The Hartford accepts the challenge. The Hartford understands that protecting your business with the proper insurance can be a challenge. The Hartford team can help provide coverage to suit your industry. The Hartford empowers mid- to large-sized companies like yours to easily manage risk, from liability and property insurance to workers' comp and more. With experience in underwriting, risk engineering services and claims, the Hartford faces any challenge to deliver innovative, customizable solutions that your industry and your unique company demand. Let the Hartford help protect what's unique about your business. Learn how at thehartford.com.
There's nothing like a presidential debate, right? I mean, if you're a political junkie, prime time TV, two candidates on the stage, the unbiased moderator. And the next three, two presidential, one vice presidential, are sponsored by the Commission on Presidential Debates. Tonight's 90 Minutes will be about domestic issues and will follow a format designed by the Commission. The Commission, said Jim Lehrer, bringing us back to the presidential campaign in 2012 there. Right? That's how this thing all starts. It all starts. The, the Commission on Presidential Debates, they run these things. Well, as I read on the terminal from Mark Duquette in a letter out today to the Commission's co-chairs, the Republican National Committee says the party's lost faith that its nominees will be treated fairly. So much for the unbiased moderator. After communications with the Commission since last June about reforming the debate process, including new rules for how moderators conduct debates, led to this. Mark Niquette is with us right now, I'm happy to say. Bloomberg National Political Reporter. Mark, it's great to have you back. How much of a big deal is this for the process? What would replace the commission? Well, the RNC is talking about some other kind of forum where you know a debate could be held, just not sponsored by the you know, nonpartisan uh Commission on Presidential Debates, but as you said, this you know this is the way we've been doing debates for for decades now. Mm-hmm. So it's hard to know you know what other you know forum could be held that both Democrats and Republicans would agree to, um, and, and this could be just sort of a, a negotiating ploy by the RNC. It's been trying to get rules changed uh, for debates ever since you know Donald Trump you know. Uh, complain that you know all kinds of things were unfair about the debates. He, you know, he accused the commission of shutting off his mic during one debate. Um, he's been notoriously unhappy with the, the debate moderators, you know, thinking they've been biased against him. And the RNC has been pushing for changes in the process that you know, it thinks it would make the process fairer for Republicans. Um, and so far, the commission has not been willing to uh, change the rules and. You know, this letter today might just be another step towards trying to get the, you know, the commission to come along to what the RNC wants. Is this really about liberal, uh, or at least perceived to be liberal news people being tapped as moderators? Is there anything more to this, Mark? Well, there's other things that the RNC has been pushing for, including, you know, having a debate before early voting starts. You know, the idea that. You know, the debates happen too late in the process, or at least after some people have um, started voting already, um, that, you know, we should be holding debates sooner. Um, and they're also talking about, you know, more uh, changes in, in transparency for the commission, um, you know, how debate moderators are chosen, what rules govern their um, you know, uh, handling of debates. And also, I think there's some concern Republicans have expressed about, you know, uh, commission members um, making partisan comments or being perceived to have conflicts of interest. Um, so these are the kind of things that Republicans are trying to get out in the open, sure. if nothing else. On an organizational level, on a, on a presentation level, would it, would it appear to be different, a different exercise for people watching at home? I don't think so. I mean, I think, you know, the, the, the debates have you know, for the most part, I think, been viewed as, you know, impartial or at least nonpartisan. Um, and, and they've had moderators who are at the top of their fields, for sure. Um, so, you know, it's hard to know if, if any of this these changes would actually affect the, the actual presentation of the debate. 
Um, and, you know, the, the commission has sort of made it clear that it's willing to negotiate with uh, the presidential candidates and mm-hmm. Uh, themselves, but not necessarily with the the political parties like the RNC. So it'll be interesting to see what happens after it this will. letter went out today. We'd love to talk to you when we know more. Mark Niquette, Bloomberg National Political Reporter. You can find his story on the terminal to learn more. And Mark, it's great to have you back. We'd we'd like to follow up on this. I want to ask Rick Davis about this too. Bloomberg Politics contributor Rick Davis has actually been in this process. Rick, you've helped to to organize. You've helped to plan presidential debates. Uh, this is something. That predates Donald Trump, is it not? Oh, for sure. Um, I sat on a commission put together by Kathleen Hall Jamison at Annenberg Public Policy Center in 2015, where you know we made recommendations on how to improve the debates, and and frankly, that came out of the fact that the Presidential Debate Commission had not done enough to update their formats and and make uh, debates more accessible. And so, what needs to change? What what are we getting at here? You know, one of the fundamental changes is, uh, you know, getting rid of audiences in in debates that aren't town halls. Uh, you know, they started out as studio debates. Uh, then they became rallies and, yeah. and they are very disruptive. Uh, you know, I, I think one of my bugaboos was uh, locating these debates. Uh, the commission does it because they can raise money in certain places. Uh-huh. Um, but like, why do you want to go to Hampstead, New York in the last three <laughs> weeks of the election when nobody wants to campaign in New York? And yeah. And we had to do that. And, and those things are, are repetitive. Um, uh, transparency, you know, just like knowing and understanding how the process is supposed to work. Uh, you know, when you win a nomination, you know, it's May before November election and you don't have a whole lot or, you know, uh, a whole lot of time to really mess with it. And, uh, and the reality is that um, you're, you're sort of stuck because these, these places, you know, the commission has already selected all these places to go to and, and has its own form of rules. I actually tried to open up a dialogue with the Obama campaign uh, with David Plouffe to uh, I was going to ask you how and, Democrats feel about this. Yeah, we, we tried to bypass it. They have the same attitude. But huh. um, we, we actually appointed two people to try and figure out, could we do them ourselves? Uh, John McCain just wanted to rent a plane, get Obama <laughs> and him on it and fly around and do a bunch of debates every week. So thank God. I didn't I'm sure you would have loved that. Oh, too. lovely. Yeah. But like this is the point is, you know, it. You want the campaigns talking to each other. You you don't want a third party that's going to throw a monkey wrench into it, and that's what's happened. Would this result in more favorable moderators, or don't they exist in your view? You know, moderate. Everyone always complains about the moderator when their guy does a bad job, right? <laughs> and 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 yet, you know, there were great guys like Jim Lehrer, the clip you played, Bob yep. Schieffer. I mean, there yep. are yep. The, the, it, it adds a lot of robustness to the debate, and and you don't want to cook the questions. You actually want it to be a debate, uh, but you want more interaction between the two candidates. You don't want the the moderator to be the star of the debate. If that's the case, then something went wrong, and we've had many of those nights. Yeah, I was going to say I've never seen a debate like that, Rick. Rick Davis has been there. That's why he's with us on Sound On, and we appreciate it, Rick. We'll, we'll reassemble the panel and bring Jeannie back in next on Bloomberg Sound On. This is Bloomberg. You're listening to Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. It was on this day last year. Do you remember the 13th of January? Well, probably not. But it was that day House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy made news as he took to the floor and made an impassioned speech about the attack on the Capitol, which took place only days earlier. He is sounding rather different today after refusing to testify before the select committee investigating January 6th. And before we bring in the panel, we'll do a little before and after here, because this was a, a major conversation earlier today on Capitol Hill. Let's start January 13th, 
2021, one year ago, Kevin McCarthy. The president bears responsibility for Wednesday's attack on Congress by mob rioters. He should have immediately denounced the mob when he saw what was unfolding. These facts require immediate action by President Trump. Accept his share of responsibility, quell the brewing unrest, and ensure President-elect Biden is able to successfully begin his term. Fast forward one year exactly to this morning in the visitor center of the U.S. Capitol. That's where they hold the leadership briefings. A room full of reporters, at least distanced in the age of COVID, with a lot of questions about this. What happened after that speech? What brought you down to Mar-a-Lago? How have you changed your tune so much in the last year? What changed? Why did I make the what trip? What changed from what you said on the floor, criticizing him, saying that he was... My, critici- my criticism went to everyone on that day. I just played you the cut from what he said a year ago. And so we reassembled the panel. Jeannie Shanzano, Rick Davis with us. Talk to me about this, Jeannie. It's an evolution that you may not be surprised by with Kevin McCarthy, but it speaks to the power of Trump. It does, and it was a very quick uh, evolution, if you can even call it that. It was just a couple of weeks when he was Mm -hmm. down in Mar-a-Lago, and that changed pretty much everything. And he has, you know, made it clear that he has put his interest in becoming Speaker of the House should they retake the House. And he is convinced, and so are many of his members, that that is an impossibility if he does not kiss Donald Trump's ring. And so that's what he has decided to do. And on the uh, on the other side, in the Senate, we heard last night from Lindsey Graham imploring Mitch McConnell that he, too, is going to be in danger if he doesn't turn around his view about who won the 2020 election. So there is disarray on the Republican side in terms of how to handle Donald Trump. But McCarthy has clearly chosen which way he's going to go, and he can't square either of these statements. And now he's facing a likely subpoena from the committee to testify. Well, I wonder if that is going to happen, Rick Davis, more broadly, just before we get that far. Is is this as simple as it appears? Who got to Kevin McCarthy? Or is there more involved here? After you made that statement a year ago, um, saying that Donald Trump needed to have immediately uh, 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 called out the the rioters, um, he went down to Mar-a-Lago. And I'm sure there was a, uh, a woodshed. Uh, situation where I'm sure Donald Trump, uh, certainly from the reports we've heard, said, you want me to be involved in midterm elections? You're going to have to start to toe the line. I am the Republican Party. And that was the Lindsey Graham message. More than anything about like the outcome of the election, Lindsey Graham last night on Hannity took the opportunity to say, Donald Trump is still the Republican Party. And if you hope to make progress, uh, he is going to be the Republican Party in the future. We need to be sensitive to what he wants to do. And you know, look, I mean, this is all trying to create relevance for Donald Trump, uh, inspired by Donald Trump. And and pretty clear a year later, uh, uh, the minority leader, uh, Kevin McCarthy, has bought into that um, and refused in this hearing, uh, not the hearing, but the press availability, to say anything negative about Donald Trump's conduct a year ago. Yeah, they uh, tried to. Uh, on the 6th. And, and give the press a, uh, uh, their due. They worked it hard. And he... <laughs> ignored them and just went right to his talking points. Yep. We had a, we had an old saying in the McCain campaign in 2000, spinning is lying. And we heard a lot of lying going on today. <laughs> wow. Listen to this. All right. Well, look, you've both mentioned Lindsey Graham. 
Uh, it was on Hannity last night, Fox News Channel. Been a good uh, 12 hours for Trump on TV. Here he is. I like Senator McConnell. He worked well with President Trump to get a bunch of judges, including three three Supreme Court justices on the bench. They got the tax cuts passed working together. But here's the question. Can Senator McConnell effectively work with the leader of the Republican Party, Donald Trump? I'm not going to vote for anybody that can't have a working relationship with President Trump. Wow. So, well, by the way, that is uh, that's an anonymous vote, right? He could will never know who he votes for to be majority leader. But there's a big difference between Mitch McConnell and Kevin McCarthy, Jeannie, isn't there? There is. And, you know, it's interesting because, you know, Lindsey Graham had been something of a go between between Mitch McConnell and Donald Trump for a long time. And I think last night he stepped out and away from many other Republicans in the Senate who have been rallying around Mitch McConnell. And he said, not so fast. If you don't fall in line here, you're going to have a problem. And so I'm curious to see, do other Republicans follow suit? He may open the door for other ones. You know, we had Mike Rounds out on the Sunday show. He got, you know, uh, taken to the woodshed, to use Rick's phrase, for <laughs> suggesting that the 2020 election was rightly decided. He had some support from Romney and McConnell and others, but Lindsey Graham is showing there is a deep divide here, and it may be exacerbated as a result of what he said last night. The way this is playing uh, for you, Rick Davis, you know Mitch McConnell, uh, a completely different political animal than Kevin McCarthy, while they are uh, leaders in the same party. How's he going to handle this? You know, I think he's already shown us how he's going to handle it. He's been brutally uh, consistent since uh, January 6, uh, 2021, and that is that uh, he expects to see and is anxious to learn what the uh, uh, January 6 commission has to say. Uh, he does not uh, think of Donald Trump as the leader of the Republican Party. I think his belief is he is probably the senior Republican elected official hmm. in America, and that that right bestows to him. And, and and he's got a day job being the minority leader <laughs> yes. of the United States Senate. He does his day job. He doesn't try to get ahead of that. But Rick, so, Lindsey Graham last night even faulted him, if I had kept playing this, faulted him for the two uh, debt ceiling deals as if it was a disservice to the nation. What do Republicans in the Senate actually think of Mitch McConnell? Forget Lindsey Graham for a moment. Well, you know, he's able to pull these tricks out of his sleeve, right? I mean, he's a master Hill strategist. Uh, he is the... The, the king of process in uh, the United States Senate. Uh, and his loyalty within the Republican caucus has always been very consistently strong, even in the darkest of days. I mean, there have been times when we've lost the majority and, and his leadership's been questioned and he keeps coming out back on top. Those people who uh, underestimate Mitch McConnell usually wind up on the wrong end of the, the stick. And I would say Lindsey's comments last night were kind of interesting. It kind of reminded me of, you know, sort of Caesar, you know, playing the fiddle while Mar-a-Lago burned. Um, oh, when you look at the current polling, Donald Trump is 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 only second to Joe Biden in losing popularity across the country. I mean, voters are no more enamored with Donald Trump as they are with Joe Biden right now. And that includes Republican primary voters. And so I really not sure everybody's looking at the future the same huh. way most Republicans are. And so I it's think- a miscalculation, though. I mean, if that why, why would he have such an incredible level of support in Washington if that were the case? 
Well, I think that people, first of all, politicians are the last ones to usually get the memo on what <laughs> voters want. Uh, and, uh, and, and, and that's why there's turnover so often. Uh, yeah. and, and I think that, that the midterms could actually be an interesting surprise because, wow. you know, the, the former president has endorsed a lot of Republicans to oppose sitting members of the House and Senate. And if those sitting members prevail, where's the beef? So, Jeannie, does this does this say to you that the conventional wisdom about 2024 is off with Trump or does it depend on how he performs in this midterm year? I think it depends on how he performs in the midterm year, but I would also say the calculation they are making is that Donald Trump remains a very popular amongst the base, and as long as we are in a primary season, they are going to be looking to Donald Trump because those are the people who are going to get out to vote. And I thought Lindsey Graham last night on the debt ceiling raised something very important, very much like Chuck Schumer today. McConnell made a mistake by drawing a red line he couldn't keep on that, and that is something that's going to come back to haunt him a little bit. And it's something that did raise questions amongst his members about what he was thinking by making that promise. Looking forward here, uh, I'd love to hear from both of you really quickly on where we started. That's the voting rights legislation. There is going to be an attempt, I guess, to get a vote uh, on this. Chuck Schumer's going for it, Jeannie, in the next couple of days. He is going for it. It's going to line up with Martin Luther King's Day, so you can yeah. kiss your weekend goodbye, I think, <laughs> Joe Matthew. And, you know, he, you know, unless something drastic is, and shocking changes, he's not going to get it. And it's unfortunate. As Kristen Cinema said, she supports the legislation. It's the filibuster change she doesn't support. So, you know, the, the legislation is important, but they're not going to get there this point unless something changes. Does he bring it to the floor, Rick, knowing it will fail? You know, uh, it's symbolism. So, sure, I think it's what uh, Jeannie said. He's, yeah. he's got Martin Luther King holiday to do it on, and and he's gonna he's gonna walk a plank and have everybody do it, and then they'll say, oh, see, we could have we could have gotten this done if if not for the filibuster. It, it, it's it's a bit of a fantasy. It's not honest, uh, but uh, it's politics, and that's he's looking for a political win and keep the base happy. Is there another round on this, Jeannie, or is that the the point here? It fails. Now go out and vote. I can't imagine another round this year. I think it becomes much harder to do these things as the year goes on. But, you know, going forward, there really should be, particularly to restore pre-clearance. That's something that really does need to happen. As the president said himself. If we missed the first time, we could come back and try it a second time. We missed this time. We missed this time. We missed this time, said the president today on Capitol Hill. Thanks for spending the fastest hour in politics with us. Big thanks as ever to Rick and Jeannie. We'll see you back here tomorrow. I'm Joe Matthew. This is Bloomberg. Top Thrill 2 is like no other course. Two 420-foot vertical speedways, three launches. All right, let's talk strategy. Copy that, driver. Go for maximum acceleration off the start. Measure that. You've got a short straightaway to push from 0 to 74 on the first vertical speedway. And what about the rollback? Rollback will set you up for an explosive reverse climb 420 feet in the sky so you reach 0 Gs in total weightlessness. 420 feet of straight-up speed. Let's get it. Top Thrill 2, the world's tallest and fastest triple-launch Stratocoaster. Get your tickets at cedarpoint.com. The Hartford understands protecting your business with the proper insurance can be a challenge. The Hartford team can provide coverage to suit your industry. The Hartford empowers mid- to large-size companies like yours to help manage risk, from liability and property insurance to workers' comp and more. Let the Hartford help protect what's unique about your business. Learn how at thehartford.com.